our babies are humans and just like us, they have their preferences. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that they don't feel any pressure or Mm -hmm. frustration. Mm -hmm. I think that the benefit of baby led weaning is that we can more or less feed them what we are consuming if with the caveat that Mm -hmm. we are eating, you know, foods that we want our baby to be consuming. Mm -hmm. But I I find that parents tend to get more frustrated if they are spending all this time making these elaborate meals Mm -hmm. and then they give it to their baby and their baby just wipes it on the floor. They will. They absolutely will. And it's like, expect that. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. Alyssa, welcome to Sheep. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here and to have this opportunity just to chat with you in your community. So thank you for inviting me into your space. Absolutely. Well, we are honored to have you here as well and really looking forward to learning. I feel like I'm, I told you before we start recording, like this is a topic I am excited to learn about. So I'm just going to be sitting here like a student and asking all the questions, but let's start (laughs) with just a little of your background. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in your background for those who may not know you? Yeah, I would love to. So I'll share a little bit of my story because people are often surprised when they learn I'm a pharmacist hmm. who's kind of in the holistic health space. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so everything really started for me back when I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called Hashimoto's, mm. which I'm sure many of your listeners mm-hmm. are familiar with. <laughs> yep. I still remember the moment vividly when my doctor called because to her, it seemed like just another diagnosis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to me, it was life altering, right? Mm-hmm. So she told me, I remember her telling me there's really nothing you can do but wait until your thyroid function declines and then you'll just have to take medication the rest of your life as if it was like no big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember feeling extremely confused and a little bit conflicted mm-hmm. at the same time. <laughs> confused because it's like, wait, why is my body attacking itself? Uh-huh. But also extremely conflicted because at the time I was actually just starting my career in pharmacy. And in a way, I felt like the very system that I was starting to devote my career to had failed. And it was really kind of in that moment that I realized my health and healing was up to me Mm -hmm. and that the lifestyle choices I was making really actually mattered. Mm -hmm. And it was like this moment of realization that if I unless I want to deal with chronic health issues the rest of my life, like I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it was ultimately kind of that that led to this mindset shift where I really started to understand the role that food was playing in both the prevention and the development of disease. Mm -hmm. And as I began to kind of see through this new lens and really see food as medicine, I started to take a more holistic and intentional approach to nourishing my body, which I think a lot of people can relate to mm-hmm. after they go through a big life change, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And from that, I really started to see my health change drastically. I saw my symptoms disappearing. My thyroid labs were were really improving. And overall, I finally felt like I was thriving, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like mm-hmm. 
at the end of the day, that's all I wanted, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the goal. So really then kind of fast forward, had kind of been immersed in the holistic health space for, gosh, five to seven years at this point. And I had my first baby and we were planning to start solids. Mm. And I had this full circle moment where I realized if we can nourish our children in this way from the start, you know, more holistic Mm -hmm. and intentional, we can really support their bodies in a way that honors God's design and stewards their health and gives them the best possible chance at a life free from chronic illness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it makes me emotional to think about because just like seeing your, your perfect little child imagining your four-month-old and your new baby. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it is, there's so much power behind it. Mm -hmm. So that was ultimately the kind of the epiphany I had that inspired me to start Thriving Foundations Mm -hmm. and then go on to work with other parents and eventually develop the framework that we teach in our course, Mm -hmm. which helps parents to build those strong foundations of health Mm -hmm. from the start for their children. Yeah, I love that. I find it interesting that so many of us, like moms and women in this generation, like most of us who kind of get into the holistic space generally do from a personal experience with a chronic illness, fertility issue, some sort of like hardship or like diagnosis or something that makes us go, wait, what? And then the medical answer is like, well, just rely on medication your whole life. And while there's a time and place for medication, I'm not against all medication, but this idea of like, that's your solution, you know, versus like, well, how do you really nourish and support your body from the inside out? I think that makes a lot of us question why we've just accepted things the way that they were. And we kind of dig into this alternative, although probably more natural. (laughs) And like, it's, I don't even know what, I don't even know why it's called alternative. I think it's just because it's just not the norm anymore, unfortunately, but like, exactly. <laughs> but digging into that and then the way that that can like, kind of what you said, just even the fact that it makes you emotional, I completely understand that because this idea, like I thought back, like, man, if I wouldn't have uncovered some of the things that I did and, and gone through the hard things that I did, like, I don't think I would have this approach when it comes to my family and the things that I want to do differently for my kids, you know, and why that's so important exactly. to me. So anyway, I, yeah, I just appreciate you sharing that because I think so many can relate to that or will be able to relate to that in one way or another. So I love that. But for those who, you know, you said this kind of thing about introducing solids and all of that. And so I want to talk a little bit about this idea of like holistic baby led weaning. Mm -hmm. But for those who haven't heard that term, can you explain what is baby led weaning? Let's just start there. Yeah. So, I mean, to keep it as simple as possible, it's just a style of feeding that involves introducing real foods from the start. Mm -hmm. And by real meaning just not purees, not baby food, Mm -hmm. just actual, actual food, like Mm -hmm. a piece of a banana Mm -hmm. (laughs) and allowing our baby to independently Mm -hmm. feed themselves. Mm -hmm. So baby led is referring to literally allowing our baby to lead the way. Mm -hmm. And then weaning is just gradually introducing solid foods. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good to know. So then I think the question that a lot of people immediately ask is, well, how do you know when your baby is ready to start introducing foods? Because I think we, I mean, for me personally, even I was like, oh, well, then they go from milk to purees and then you introduce foods. So this idea of like not necessarily doing that is is interesting. And I would love to just hear your thoughts on when do you know if your baby is ready for you to start introducing foods and how do you even get started with this baby led weaning concept? Yeah. Yeah. So there are some key signs of readiness that indicate hmm. when our baby is developmentally ready. And, and that's really based on them showing us that they are ready to ready to safely explore solid foods. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of comes down to like the fact that they are doing it independently. They have to be ready because mm-hmm. they are the <laughs> participant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So these main signs of readiness are sitting independently with minimal support, having good head control. And that makes sense because they're sitting in a high chair and they need to be able to hold their head up Mm -hmm. so that they can safely swallow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Being able to pick up objects and bring them to their mouth Mm -hmm. and then actually being interested. So really, I find that a lot of the moms I work with intuitively know when their baby is ready to start solids. And that's really because they are kind of trusting their baby's cues. And if we sit our baby in a high chair and we put a piece of food in front of them Mm -hmm. and they're not really doing anything with it, Mm -hmm. that they're probably not ready and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. We can't really force it. People always like to ask, but when? (laughs) That's going to be the other thing. So in general, everyone always thinks of six months in their mind. Mm -hmm. I think about that's kind of the general time that babies start to present or like show these signs. Mm -hmm. But I cannot emphasize enough that obviously every baby is different and a lot of babies really aren't showing these signs until after six months, Mm -hmm. especially if we're allowing them to get there on their own. Mm -hmm. So like with my boys, we, we didn't use like seats or we didn't encourage them to sit before we just allowed them to literally figure out how to sit Mm -hmm. from being on the ground. Mm -hmm. So they sat a little bit later. So we started solids a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, kind of that six months, but that's, again, from what I see, less babies are ready right at six months. Mm -hmm. More so, I see it closer to seven months. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But every baby is different. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so then, you know, I know you share a lot about, and you touched on this earlier, so I kind of want to circle back because it's kind of on the same, in the same vein. So you shared a lot about how we have one of the sickest generations of children. I think this is really interesting. So can you unpack that a little bit and talk about why our child's nourishment during their first few years of life is so important for their lifelong health? Yeah. So as far as having one of the sickest generations of children, I think I'm, I think I like get so fired up about this because of my experience Mm. working in pharmacy. (laughs) just seeing how kind of very little is being done to actually reverse and change this trajectory. Mm -hmm. But as it stands right now, depending on the source and like obviously where in the world, but in the United States, it's around one in two children having at least one chronic health condition, which is insane. (laughs) Like like I just, right. Like I remember looking at my, my child and of course, there is sometimes like God has other plans Mm -hmm. and sometimes we can't change what, you know, if our child has any, a a certain type of health condition, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily referring to those. I'm referring to like the modifiable Mm -hmm. ones. So the ones that we can influence. Mm -hmm. And so obviously there are many factors at play that are kind of like contributing to that, but I really like to talk about our food system because I think it's Mm -hmm. such a big one. Like food is the number one thing that we consume Mm -hmm. every single day, multiple times a day. So we can dive into that a little bit. But as far as like why nourishment is so important Mm -hmm. during the early years, really kind of the main, there's a few kind of key things to consider. One is that our child's nutritional status during these early years can have lasting impacts on both their brain development and their risk for certain health conditions later in life. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a variety of these, but some include obesity, hypertension, so high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. diabetes, and even some cancers. Mm -hmm. So like it is literally a time of nutritional programming where we have this opportunity to like influence our child's risk, which can seem daunting, Mm -hmm. but 
I, I like to encourage parents and let it like let that empower you. The other thing to consider is just the fact that these early years are so pivotal in setting our child up for healthy eating habits mm-hmm. and their foundation, their relationship with food, mm-hmm. which is almost as important as like what they're actually eating, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So there's so many moving parts, mm-hmm. but it's such a such an important time to like truly nourish their bodies. And it's not about being perfect. I think that sometimes people can interpret being passionate about nourishment yeah. as like you, you're like, like you never have. A yeah. Like there's no balance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But I'm like completely the opposite. I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, I think it's almost as important to like give our child that sense of food freedom mm-hmm. and that sense of balance. But mm-hmm. it's like being more, it's more about being intentional and mm-hmm. understanding kind of the bigger picture, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Makes so much sense. Okay. So you mentioned the food system. I want to circle back to that because that was, I think that's really important to talk about. So, you know, you talk about we have how we have an entire food system that is really inundated with chemicals and food-like substances that aren't necessarily food. So what are your best tips for choosing real foods that support your baby's, you know, metabolism, gut health, overall development, et cetera, and really optimize that nutrient density, especially with the food system that we now have. And if you want to dig into some of the concerns of the food system, feel free to do that too. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of the food-like substances. Yeah. So I guess to kind of touch on the food system, one thing I tell parents is we can't defend our child's health if we don't know what what Mm -hmm. we're up against. So, Mm -hmm. and like, I don't share this information to quote instill fear, but more so just so that we can be aware. So I like to talk about how, so for one, our food system just like laying the facts on the table has resulted in about 75, 74% of U.S. adults and about 40% of U.S. children and adolescents being overweight or obese, which is alarming. <laughs> like something is, you know, yeah. something is going on yeah. in Something's our food here. Yeah. Right. Some other things to consider, which obviously influences how, what we're, what we're consuming is our dietary guidelines. Mm-hmm and our food, our food policies. So these are going to affect the recommendations that our doctor is giving us. These are going to affect the food that we're consuming. If we're in the hospital, the food that our children are consuming. Mm -hmm. This was something that we learned when we sent our son to daycare Mm -hmm. are that the dietary guidelines influence the foods that the daycare served. Right. And Mm -hmm. so why is that important for us to be mindful of? Well, they can be influenced by the food industry. (laughs) We don't have to go down that path, but Mm -hmm. I think when you understand kind of all the intricacies Mm -hmm. of lobbyists and, you know, all the Mm -hmm. connections, I think it's important to be aware. Mm -hmm. And then, as you mentioned, the food-like substances. So Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) it's an interesting term, but I just like to bring this up because if you look at a lot of like especially the kid foods and you actually like look at the back of the label, Mm -hmm. the ingredients, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, this is hard. Like, I don't even think I would feed this to my dog, Yeah, (laughs) but but Mm -hmm. yet it's like marketed as an infant, Mm -hmm. an infant food. It's so wild. You're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So, so that's, I mean, that's kind of just touching on the food system. Again, I think it's just important to be aware of like what is out there, what is influencing, what is at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. But as far as then kind of choosing 
foods that are supporting our our baby's mm-hmm. overall health. Mm-hmm. I think that really, I think it's it doesn't have to be complicated. I think it can come down to just asking some basic questions. Mm-hmm. So what is in this? What are the ingredients? That's especially important because unfortunately, parents are kind of a, a target market or they're kind of a target for marketing mm-hmm. for convenience foods. I will be the first to say I love convenience foods, especially like an applesauce pouch. Mm -hmm. My two-year-old is obsessed with applesauce pouches. And so it's being aware of what are what's in these foods, especially because a lot of them can be loaded with preservatives, artificial flavors, colors, other ingredients that Mm -hmm. that can truly impact our health. And when we are talking about our children, our infants, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our six months old, mm-hmm. our one year olds, mm-hmm. they are kind of more susceptible to these, these ingredients, if you will. Yeah. And then just some other things to consider are where did this food come from? Mm-hmm. And like, was it created by nature or was it created in a lab? And really that's just kind of understanding the source of our food mm-hmm. and that there's kind of a couple layers there, but even if it is sourced from nature, how is it grown? Mm-hmm. If it's animal-based, how were the animals treated? Mm-hmm. What were they fed? Mm-hmm. Kind of those types of questions. Mm-hmm. And really, at, I think at the end of the day, I always say, when in doubt, turn to nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, God created exactly what we needed. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just kind of getting back to our roots and eating mm-hmm. real whole foods and just understanding it's ideal if we can connect with the source, if we can connect directly with a farmer, sometimes that's not possible and that's okay. Cause there is still, I feel like most people that are listening to this podcast mm-hmm. probably have access to a grocery store <laughs> or a mm-hmm. farmer's market mm-hmm. and they can, or even online. Mm-hmm. And there is some online retailers that are now, or even from the source mm-hmm. that will ship food for a, you know, reasonable, obviously some are cheaper and more expensive than others, but mm-hmm. it's, it's cool to see the market kind of, I feel like people are becoming more aware mm-hmm. and more intentional about the foods that they're consuming. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a shift mm-hmm. in kind of the food industry Yeah, slowly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, I think I saw Reese's peanut butter cups, came out with like an organic version. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like that's interesting, yeah. but <laughs> all right. They're catching on in small ways. Maybe not totally. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, progress is progress. <laughs> okay. So another mm-hmm. question I want to ask, this is a little bit like going a slightly different direction, but I want to ask just like, are there certain foods that are better to delay or limit as we go through this baby led weaning process? So we're kind of like toggling back and forth between baby led weaning and also just like nutritional quality, but I think they totally go hand in hand. So for someone who's like, okay, I want to nourish my baby well, I want to be thoughtful about this. And I'm also trying to figure out the timing and how to do this well. Like, are there certain things that we should maybe delay or limit as we start introducing like real foods to our babies? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, as far as I guess kind of the first thing to touch on is safety. So Mm -hmm. certain foods to delay would be simply because of safety. Mm -hmm. So foods that have like whole nuts, for example, and seeds, Mm -hmm. super high choking risk. Mm -hmm. Um, Foods that have super tough skins or stringy textures. So think about like a raw carrot or an apple. Those are going to be harder for our babies to consume. Other foods, honey and bee pollen, 
Bee pollen is an interesting one because that's not talked about a lot, but honey is just should be delayed until after age one, just because there's a risk for infant botulism, which Hmm. is, this is interesting because I've heard some controversy around if it's sourced well, it, the risk is lower, but I don't think I necessarily agree with that logic only because it's actually, it's like the botulism spores that are naturally found in the mm-hmm. soil that mm-hmm. we probably consume as adults, but mm-hmm. they are digestive systems are mature enough. Mm-hmm. So they don't cause any issues mm-hmm. for an infant with their immature digestive system. Mm-hmm. It can lead to issues. So mm-hmm. kind of one year is kind of the gotcha. mark cutoff when honey is okay. okay. Other things that I kind of talk about delaying are egg whites, especially if baby has any sensitivities. I've found that through my work with parents, babies tend to tolerate the yolks better. Mm. If a baby has egg whites and they're, and they tolerate it fine. And I think that's fine. So when you're like making eggs for your baby, you're saying like only scramble like the yolk, the yolk, is that what you mean? Or how how does that work? Yeah. So that's what, that's what we do personally. Some people will just try the whole egg because they, they're like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they learn this and they're like, Oh, should I stop doing whites? And I'm like, no, you're, if your baby's tolerating it, Mm -hmm. they're fine. But some people will give the, the whole egg and their baby might not tolerate it as well. And then I'll say, try the yolks. When you say not tolerate, Um, do you mean like that they have digestive issues or that they could have like an allergic reaction or both? Or what do you often see? It's yeah, it's typically digestive. Some babies, we won't dive into this, but some babies can get more like almost like eczema a little bit um, where they seem to have like that type of reaction. And then the other food that I, this is kind of a whole nother topic, but grains Mm. and there's kind of a multitude of reasons why mm-hmm. one being just that our infants digestive systems are still maturing mm-hmm. and grains contain anti-nutrients and thus mm-hmm. can be a little bit harder to digest mm-hmm. can be pro-inflammatory and then in general they tend to be less nutrient dense mm-hmm. and so I don't think that grains are bad we consume mm-hmm. grains <laughs> but I just think that taking a more mindful introduction mm-hmm. I think it's worth delaying them mm-hmm. And then once you do introduce them, just be mindful about how they're introduced and the source and all, that, and all that good stuff. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. And then I think as far as limiting mm-hmm. foods to limit, I mean, this is kind of where kind of that, I guess, holistic approach, holistic picture of things. Mm-hmm. So limiting processed foods, and I say limit, I try not to say avoid mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it seems like an all or nothing, Yeah. but processed foods, the vegetables or seed oils, mm-hmm. Non-organic grains, just simply because of the chemicals used to grow and harvest them. Mm -hmm. Foods that are fortified, like Mm -hmm. excessively fortified foods, Mm -hmm. heavily contaminated produce, Mm -hmm. free sugars, so foods that are just essentially sugar. Mm -hmm. And then animal products that are, I want to say conventional, but that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. It's more so kind of tying it back to the the questions that we talked about. Being aware of how the animals were treated, Mm -hmm. the types of foods that they were fed, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So just kind of being aware of the source of our foods, Mm -hmm. because ultimately that's going to affect our health. 
Have you ever wanted to live a little bit more of a natural and holistic lifestyle for the sake of your well-being and your family's well-being, as well as to be a little bit more self-sustaining, but just felt really confused on where to start, especially if you can't just like up and move to a farm tomorrow? Look, when I first started my holistic wellness journey, I remember I felt so overwhelmed. There's so much information all over the internet nowadays, and it's so hard to discern and to know which brands are truly clean and how do I source food locally and where do I even begin with all this stuff, especially if I have a busy life and I live maybe in an apartment or a suburban life or I just don't have like goats in my backyard to go milk, you know, like how how do I do this? And, um, it can be really overwhelming. So what I did is I wanted to take the guesswork out of it for you because I think one of the biggest things that holds so many of us back is not only the financial side of it and the worry that it's going to be more expensive, but also the time. Most of us don't have months or years to invest in researching and reading labels and figuring out how to do that and doing all this research on our own. So we just don't, and we kind of get stuck. So what I wanted to do is create a quick start guide for you. And it's called the lifestyle overhaul guide. It is a step-by-step quick start guide to living a more natural and sustainable life. And it is laid out in a step-by-step format. It covers everything from budgeting for these changes to really reducing stress and creating a more sustainable schedule and lifestyle in terms of your time to cleaning up the products in your home and reducing your toxin burden, how to really start with that and what to prioritize and how to do that in a budget-friendly way to sourcing more food locally, shortening your supply chain, being less reliant on the grocery store and big food systems, and starting to really use the resources in your local community. I'm giving you all the best resources on how to find those things, how to source those things, and how to get started right where you are. So if that sounds like something you need, you can tap the link in the show notes on this episode, or just go to jordanleedooley.com slash lifestyle dash overhaul to check out all the details and grab yourself a copy. Okay. So another question I think that piggybacks off that is the preparation side of things. Like when we think about which foods to offer, or we often think about which foods to offer, but maybe not so much the process of how we prepare them. Are there better ways to prepare things like, like you mentioned, grains can be a tough one. So like things like that to make them a little bit more digestible, either for ourselves or for our babies in the like baby led weaning process. Is there a better way to prepare them that make them a little bit easier on our our digestion? Yeah. So there's, I kind of, there's a, I have a resource in my course that dives into like fruits mm-hmm. and meats and veggies. Mm-hmm. And then obviously grains, I'll just kind of touch on the grains because that's the mm-hmm. biggest one. Mm-hmm. I mentioned anti-nutrients, which mm-hmm. if people are not familiar with those, they're just essentially compounds that are naturally found in plants that mm-hmm. serve to protect the plant seeds. Mm-hmm. So why we care about them is we lack the enzymes needed to break them down. Mm. So if we are not preparing these grains, which are from a plant, Mm -hmm. then those Mm anti-nutrients can actually block the absorption of certain nutrients Mm -hmm. like minerals Mm -hmm. while also inhibiting our digestive enzymes. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a a twofer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If they're not prepared, not only are they inhibiting the nutrient absorption, but then also they can be upsetting to our digestive system, which for our little tiny babies Mm -hmm. who their digestive system is still developing, I think that's the value in being more intentional. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as far as preparing these, there's kind of the main ways are soaking. That's if you think about why people soak rice Mm -hmm. or kind of that traditionally how we would prepare grains, Mm -hmm. we'd soak them, sprout them, ferment them. Um, Mm -hmm. Think about sourdough. Mm -hmm. Sourdough is allowing, is souring basically of, or fermenting. Mm -hmm. And so these are all 
helping to neutralize those anti-nutrients mm. and then that's more or less deactivating them mm-hmm. uh, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, it's really interesting. Cause like, you know, you're, that's a really good example actually of the rice. Cause we're like, I don't know of anyone who just eats rice raw. Like everybody steams it or, <laughs> right. you know, what did you say? Not boils it. What's the word you just said? Soaks them or soaks it. So yeah. And I think about that and I'm like, but then we'll eat like raw oats or like, you know what I mean? Like other things like that. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that doesn't even make sense when you actually think about it. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Something else I'm curious about, even in the preparation and figuring out like which foods to introduce and things like that. I think something I anticipate running into, and I'm sure plenty of moms run into is like, what do you do? Or what do you suggest doing if your baby doesn't like the foods that you offer them? Like, what if they don't, you know, they spit them out or they're not interested or whatever? Like, what's your advice there? Yeah. My first, like, just number one is that it's totally okay and to expect it. Mm. Honestly, like our babies are humans and just like us, they have their preferences. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that they don't feel any pressure or Mm -hmm. frustration. Mm -hmm. I think that the benefit of baby led weaning is that we can more or less feed them what we are consuming if with the caveat that Mm -hmm. we are eating, you know, foods that we want our baby to be consuming. Mm -hmm. But I I find that parents tend to get like more frustrated if they are spending all this time making these elaborate meals Mm -hmm. and then they give it to their baby and their baby just wipes it it on the floor. They will, they (laughs) absolutely will. And it's like, expect that. So Mm -hmm. expect it. Uh, Know that for some babies, it can take upwards of 30 exposures Mm -hmm. Before they even like it, which, and another thing too, is it's, they're called pre-feeding behaviors, but Mm -hmm. understanding that if a baby is allowing, especially once they get to be a little bit older, Mm -hmm. if they are allowing a food on their plate, that is a win. If they are touching it, that is a win. Like they are exploring Mm -hmm. it. And if you think about like, especially our new eaters, Mm -hmm. they only no milk. <laughs> like they, yeah. we eat every day. So it's just like second nature for us, but a baby sits down and they're like, what is this? This right. smells weird. It looks weird. It feels weird. And so then they kind of go through these series of pre-feeding behaviors where they all lead eventually up to eating the food. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately just taking the pressure off, um, I think is so valuable and it can be hard. I will say firsthand. So we're about to have our third, but mm-hmm. with our first, I remember like my husband and I would have to kind of like give ourselves pep talks mm-hmm. and just like sometimes give each other exchanges. And sometimes even to this day, our son is four. We made like chicken a couple weeks ago and mm-hmm. he saw it and just instantly sulked mm-hmm. and it was like, I don't want that. And I was like, Oh, Okay. And this is another tip is we always introduce new foods with mm. foods that we know he likes. Mm. It makes it That's a little less intimidating. Yeah. So we were like, oh, you know what? Hey, but if you don't, that's fine. We're going to have some strawberries and we're going to have some mm-hmm. whatever else. I can't remember what we had. Mm-hmm. And we just totally took the pressure off. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the meal, he would like took a little bite and was like, I like this. And we were mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's so there's it's like removing the power struggle Yeah, that it can be so stressful for parents mm-hmm. when kind of they enter that territory mm-hmm. of their child feels that pressure or that stress mm-hmm. from the, like when, when our child feels like they're stressing us out, that 
messes them up. (laughs) And then that also gives them power Mm. to kind of manipulate us, but manipulate us. Yeah, (laughs) or manipulate the situation to get what they want, you know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, and our little ones don't do that, obviously. They just go through the series of learning like, Mm -hmm. oh, sweet. When I push my food off the table, it splats on the floor. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting experience. (laughs) But yeah. Well, I think it's really, yeah, I think that's a really, well, no, I think that's a really good point because I think like, like you you said, like we can get so focused on like, this is what I'm giving for dinner, you know? And I think that's really wise to, to kind of I would almost say like overlap, like the new food and the foods that they like is kind of what it sounds like you're doing. And it can like, like you said, be a little bit less intimidating for them versus something that they've never seen. It's totally foreign. You know that, I mean, think, I think about that for me, like if I see something on a plate that I've never seen before, it's really like a unique dish or maybe a foreign type of food or something. I'm like, I'm more hesitant to try it, you know, but if it's like mixed into something that I normally eat and it's just like a different type of spice or a different like flavor pairing or whatever, I'm much more likely to be like, oh, okay. Cause we, we kind of like cling to familiarity, you know? So it makes sense that our kids do the same. Okay. One of the things I wanted to ask about is allergies specifically because I think when parents think about introducing foods the topic of allergies often comes up or like reactions comes up so what advice do you have what are some do's and don'ts when it comes to you know introducing common food allergens and what can we do to prevent the development of allergies or other conditions that can come up like asthma eczema things like that yeah okay so that's a big question so just so as far as the do's and don'ts just kind of the basics Mm -hmm. It's always best to introduce one allergenic food at a time. Mm-hmm. I think logically that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you were, if your child has a reaction, you wouldn't know which allergen, right. which allergen is causing it. So one at a time, and then also just start with small amounts. So the smaller the amount of the allergen, the less severe an allergic reaction mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is a true food allergy and you know about it, and it's established, mm-hmm. then it really is best to just completely avoid mm-hmm. the allergenic food because even a small amount could trigger mm-hmm. uh, a severe reaction. Mm-hmm. And so starting small and then continuing to serve until you know your baby tolerates it. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of when, I always recommend introducing earlier in the day as opposed to in the evening mm-hmm. or even like right before a nap. And that's mm-hmm. simply because if you give your baby an allergenic food right before bedtime and then they go down for bed at night and they were to have a reaction, right? we potentially could miss that. Mm-hmm. So that makes just safety thing. And then I always say it's best to introduce when your baby's feeling well, mm-hmm. if they were to be sick or teething or just like not feeling good, mm-hmm. we wouldn't want potential symptoms of an allergy to be masked yeah. from illness, for example. Mm-hmm. And then if a baby is high risk, we'll kind of touch on this a little bit, Mm -hmm. but introducing frequently, it's interesting because it's kind of just become the recommendation for all babies, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily what the research shows. It's mainly important for high risk babies to introduce frequently two to three times a week, or at least once a week at minimum, just to like continue like allergenic foods frequently. Is that what you mean? Okay. Yep. Yep. So like small so, amount, so small amount to start, kind of test, make sure yep. there's nothing like that you're noticing. And then assuming everything's okay, kind of give it frequently in small amounts for a little bit so that they can like yeah. get accustomed to it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. And okay. really all we're doing is helping to build tolerance, which we'll talk about this in a moment. Okay. <laughs> so those are the do's as far as things to avoid. Mm-hmm. It's always best to avoid giving allergenic foods for the first time while you're out at a restaurant mm-hmm. or at daycare because you, you don't, don't control of it. Yeah. And you want to know, like, was there something that your baby 
ate that you didn't know they right. ate, for example, right. unless you don't know what they're truly reacting to. Mm-hmm. And then you also want to know how long after the reaction occurred, because that's going to kind of determine our, so mm-hmm. this is another thing. If your baby does have a reaction, it's always best to kind of make note of how long after they ate, because that will indicate potentially like what type of allergy or sensitivity mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And then avoid introducing allergenic foods uh, after new medications. That's kind of mm, that makes sense because yep. you want to know that your baby's not reacting to the medication. Right. And then don't introduce foods that your baby has reacted to. Mm-hmm because subsequent reactions can be more severe. So I always say it's just, it's best to work with your trusted healthcare provider Mm -hmm. just to make sure that, because it can be challenging navigating reactions Mm -hmm. because some can be common, but they don't always necessarily indicate a true, Mm -hmm. but that on our own, especially as, and then the last don't, if you will, would be just to avoid reintroducing any food that your child did have a reaction to. Only because if their reaction initially was mild, subsequent reactions can be more severe. So Mm -hmm. I would say it's best to find a healthcare provider that one is knowledgeable about food reactions. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, I think it can be beneficial working with one that kind of takes this more holistic approach and they understand allergies kind of at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Just because it can be challenging to navigate this on our own. Mm -hmm. And so one thing is that mild reactions can be common, but they don't necessarily always indicate a true allergy. Hmm. But that can be challenging as mm-hmm. a mom to mm-hmm. one trust that and to kind of course students all the time ask me, mm-hmm. what would you do? And I'm like, this is like an area that I just really caution mm-hmm. giving advice in because I don't have the whole picture. So right. it's best to work with a provider who can Okay. That makes sense. I think that's really good advice. One other thing we touched on briefly, and I know you said you wanted to circle back to it, was the kind of prevention of allergies or ways ways that we can kind of prevent some of these things. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before we close. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a huge thing, one that could probably be its own, but baby led weaning resources are going to say the healthcare providers, the best way to prevent food allergies is to simply introduce early and often. Mm. But I always like to say that this is just one piece of the puzzle. Mm. And the reason is because that method, so introducing allergies often, what that's is it's helping our baby to build tolerance to those specific foods. Mm. So that's kind of the key. It's those specific foods. So it doesn't mean if I introduce peanuts starting at six months. You early, peanuts at six months? Yeah, say uh-huh. peanuts. If uh-huh. I'm introducing peanuts, that has no influence on my child's risk for developing an allergy to say eggs, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think we kind of, there can be this mis- in, misunderstanding, misinterpretation that by just starting to introduce allergens early and often, our child will overall mm-hmm. be, have a lower risk of food allergies. Mm-hmm. And so kind of the key takeaway is that that strategy of early and often is not actually reducing our child's susceptibility. Hmm. to allergies in general, Hmm. nor is it like going to affect their risk of other allergic diseases like asthma or eczema. Mm -hmm. So it can be a little nuanced, but Mm -hmm. that's why I think it's so important to take a more holistic approach and understand how can we reduce our child's overall susceptibility Mm -hmm. to 
allergic disease in general mm-hmm. so that so that they don't have so that their risk overall is lower and we don't have to rely on you know doing this for every single mm-hmm. food. Mm-hmm. So that being said, if an infant is high risk, mm-hmm. obviously there is there can be benefit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so holistic approach and just focusing on and there's obviously many things to consider, mm-hmm. gut health being one of them, minimizing toxins. It's kind of this mm-hmm. overall approach to supporting a child's mm-hmm. health and their immune system and kind of all, you know, all the moving parts mm-hmm. that are reducing their overall susceptibility, yeah. which is not what it's yeah. not talked about. It's not because it, if you Google it, it's just like the absolute best way is to introduce early and often. Mm-hmm. But then we have to do that for every single food. And right. what if we don't consume those foods? Like right. we don't eat peanuts that often mm-hmm. in my family. Yeah. Yeah, same. So, yeah, no, that's good. That makes sense. And I think when you say the holistic approach, I think it's important to touch on, like you said, like minimizing their toxin burden because their little bodies are trying to process so much too. So, like being aware of that and being thoughtful about the types of foods you're putting in their body, like what can be disruptive to their gut and how can we minimize things like seed oils and just all those different things that can have such an effect on our systems. Like we have to think about, well, how would it affect theirs? You know, theirs is so much less mature. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And we know that. We know that our gut health influences our risk of mm-hmm. eczema, mm-hmm. and there is there is evidence, there is research showing that in eczema is actually a risk factor for being high risk for developing mm-hmm. allergies. Mm-hmm. So if an infant has, and we didn't talk about that, but if an infant has severe eczema, mm-hmm. they are considered high risk for developing food allergies. Huh. So okay. it's kind of like digging, peeling mm-hmm. back the layers to understand how we can prevent this Mm -hmm. and not just kind of take the approach of trying to build tolerance, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay. This has been so good. I'm like, I have 7,000 more questions, but I feel like we can kind of wrap (laughs) here. Just maybe we'll do another episode at some point, but I feel like I've learned so much. I know this is so valuable and just, you've made it really simple too, which is really helpful. But I would love for those who are like, okay, I need to learn more. I want to dig into all the things you have to offer. Can you just share where we can learn more from you and where we can find you? Absolutely. So I'm most active on Instagram at Thriving Foundations. And then I think by the time this episode airs our new website, and that will be thrivingfoundations.org. Awesome. I love it. Well, Dr. Alyssa, thank you for everything that you've shared. Thanks for being here. It's been so valuable and I've loved learning from you. It's so good. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity and it's been an amazing conversation and I just pray that it inspires and empowers those listening. I'm sure that it will. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley. And tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less.